Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Well, good morning, church. We have been several weeks consecutively in a study of the 11th chapter of Romans, but I'm going to take a pause from that uh, this morning and go a different direction. We'll come back to that uh, probably next week. I want you to open up your Bibles to the 15th chapter of Luke, please. Luke chapter 15. As you're doing that, let me give you what I believe is two key ideas, truths in this 15th chapter of Luke. The two themes are the love of the Father that is a compassionate love and then the love of the Father that erupts in joy when a lost person is found. So if I'm just starting off with a communication of the big truth, it would be this. The Heavenly Father is full of compassion for the lost and the Heavenly Father erupts in joy when one of the lost is found. What happens in the 15th chapter of Luke here is that Jesus tells three different stories. Each one of these stories is about something at the beginning of the story that is lost and something at the end of the story that is found. And the first story is about the lost sheep. Verses 3 through 7 of Luke 15. Let me just read that section of Scripture for you. So he, referring to Jesus, so Jesus told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends And his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, says Jesus, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Lost in compromise. Let me ask you a question. How does a sheep get lost? Talking about the little white fluffy four-footed creatures. How does a sheep get lost? Let me paint a picture on how I believe that happens. Sheep are fairly unintelligent creatures. Isn't that interesting that so often the analogy between sheep and Christians is given in the Bible? But sheep are fairly unintelligent creatures. And they spend the majority of their days with their heads down. And what they do is that they have their heads down and they see a little tuft of green grass, some nourishment that looks delectable to them. And so they consume it, chew it up. And as they do that, just ahead of them in their gaze, they see 
another bit of nourishment and they take a step or two over and they consume that and then they see another uh, few feet away and they nibble on that and what happens nibble by nibble is that they move away from the flock and away from the shepherd and they become lost. They have their focus on what is in the immediate vicinity and the things of the world, in this case, the grass, the food, holds their gaze and tempts them step by step farther from God, farther from the shepherd. Common characteristic of a sheep is that they wander. Common characteristic of people is that they wander. And what happens one day is that the sheep that wanders and gets out into the barren wilderness away from the sound and the sight of the shepherd who is his provision and his protection is that the sheep hears the howl of the wolf. And he looks up and finds himself lost and defenseless. What had seemed to promise so much has not provided what it promised. Some know what it's like to nibble their way bit by bit into a far country, into a place of the wilderness. One small compromise after another, after another. But know this, there is a great shepherd who's on the trail. And that great shepherd, that great shepherd is a wolf killer. And that great shepherd loves, just like in the story, he loves to find and rescue and restore his sheep to the flock. Let's look at story number two, the lost coin. Verses 8 to 10, Jesus continues with the second story of something that is lost. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And listen to how Jesus ends this story, very similar to how he ended the first story. Verse 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me ask you the same question that I ask about the sheep, how does a coin become lost? One author put it like this, the coin was heavy and so it fell, it was round and so it rolled and it was dead and so it lay away in a corner, lost. Now it 
is not the sheep nor the coin that Jesus is concerned with. These are simple stories that are intending to set up the third story. And the third story is really the heart of the issue because what the Father of Heaven is concerned with and what the Son of Heaven is concerned with is people. So let's look at the centerpiece story, verses 11 to verse 24. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For the son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Unlike the first two stories, we see something different here. We see really the truth behind what causes a person to be lost. You see, what this son did was he made a deliberate, premeditated, determined act. He did not put his head down and nibble his way into the far country. He planned the journey. Listen, while he was still in the home of the father, enjoying the father's blessings, his heart was in a distant land. He desired to leave. He made his plans. He packed his bags. And without a backward glance, he set the farm of the father behind him and set his face 
on the horizon of sin. But here Jesus tells the story that is really the story of us all. We all, in our rebellion, prior to Jesus Christ, are in the pursuit of sin. This young man, notice what he did. He headed to a faraway place, to a far country. We'll take a little liberty with the text here. He headed to a place outside of the gaze of his father where he could pursue his rebellious ends. He assumed that because he couldn't see the Father, that the Father could not see him. My youngest daughter, Jory, when she was about two years old, she loved to play the hide game from dad and mom. You know how she did that? And she grinned big, right? Because she was hiding because she couldn't see mom and dad. She assumed as a toddler that mom and dad could not see her. How foolish of us when we do that as adults, when we do that as those who should know better, because the Father's eyes keenly, perfectly, precisely see into the distant country, the faraway land, even to the corral of sin. And they see there in the pit of sin those that they love in sin deep. Then it says, In the story, as soon as the son came to his senses. Now we know what happened there in the story was that the Spirit of God, if we're treating this as a spiritual truth, the spiritual Spirit of God moved upon the heart of that son and woke that son up to the reality of his condition on where he was at and the reality of his father and his father's love for him. And when he came to his senses, he turned his heart back toward his father to begin the journey home. And what is so incredible in the story, again, if I can take a little liberty to the text, is that when that moment happened, there was a latch on the gate of heaven that opened and the father swung wide the gate and he wrapped up in his arms his robes of perfect righteousness and he ran across the landscape toward the son whom he loved. Before I 
continue and picture. Let me just give you some words of wisdom for the wayward. If you're here this morning and you know that you're in a distant country, that you are living in rebellion to God. Let me give you some words of wisdom from this story. Verse 12. Look at it again. And the younger of them, the younger son, said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he, the father, divided his property between them. Listen to the principle here. Our ability to pursue rebellion against God is even a gift from God Himself. You see what happened in the story here? The son wanted independence, and in order to get it and to go away and act out in rebellion, he had to get a gift from his father. What a vivid picture of our absolute dependency upon God, even upon God whom we are in rebellion against, that he gives us the freedom to choose to sin and the resources for the journey and the strength to make the trip. Luke 15, 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. Here's a second principle. A word of wisdom for the wayward. All of us need to listen. Young people particularly pay attention. We are influenced by what we surround ourselves with. He went to a distant, far country and they're surrounded by the environment of sin. He squandered himself. How do we know he was surrounded by the environment of sin? We're going to read later where the older brother, when he returns, says, man, he's taken your money, Dad, and squandered it on prostitutes. You see... We're influenced by what we surround ourselves with. Do not be deceived, God says. He cannot be mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. It's a principle that God has established. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. Here's the third principle. Word of wisdom to the wayward. Independence always leads to emptiness. Independence from God always leads to emptiness. Even as the son, away from his father, found himself in a place of desperate need and lack. For a season, sin looks fun, but the fun runs out. Here's the truth. Famine always follows plenty when you live away from God. Famine always follows plenty when you live away from God. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him 
into his field to feed pigs. There's the next word to the wayward. Sin has the appearance of freedom, but it always brings slavery. That's what's happening to this young man here. He was drawn away by the lurement of sin, but what happened was he ended up in poverty. Ultimately, in slavery to that sin, working, feeding pigs, longing to feed himself with the pods he was feeding the pigs. That's slavery. The truth here is the world will never give you what you really need. Verse 16, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. The world will never and sin will never give you what you really need. Verse 17, What do you do then if you find yourself in that place? If you find yourself in a distant country, away from God, living in sin, outside of His presence, what do you need to do? Take a lesson here from the young man, verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. You see, if you're sensing this reality, if you're coming to yourself, that's the Spirit of God that is working in your life, that is bringing you to that realization. And so here's what you need to do. You need to realize that God is the blessing giver. You see what the son realized in the midst of the mire and the corral of sin, he looked up and his heart and his mind thought about the father and the blessings of what it was like with the father. What you need to do is you need to realize that it is your heavenly father that is the blessing giver. Not the things of the world and the ways of the world. Verse 18 and 19 And he said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Here's the second thing you need to do if you find yourself there. You need to recognize and repent of your sin. Realize that you've rebelled against God who loves you. And then verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Point is, he arose, came to his father. Here's what you need to do when you come to your senses, come to your feet, turn them toward the father. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Procrastination kills reunions. Don't put it off. Spirit of God is speaking to you. Don't wait till tomorrow. God's, listen, 
God's compassionate love is far more concerned with your return than He is the path of rebellion that took you to where you are. He's a God of compassionate love who longs to save, whose heart erupts in joy when someone lost is found. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is all part A of the story. And I told you that that's related to the big truth. But now what I want to do is I want to, in the last few minutes that we have, I want to show you part B of the story. Because part B of the story is the bigger truth. You see, there's a context to the story. There's a reason why Jesus gave these three stories about something lost and something found and how the one that found it rejoiced exceedingly over finding that which was lost. There was a reason why Jesus told that story. There's a context and it's in verses 1 through 3 of Luke chapter 15. It's the text right before the three stories. Let me read the setup. Now the tax collectors, I think they kind of felt like tax collectors the way that we do today. (laughs) They didn't think highly of them, the Jews, right? Collecting taxes for Rome, the enemy. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Listen, so Jesus told them this parable. You see, Jesus' words here, these three stories are crafted for a specific audience. It's crafted for the religious leaders who are condemning Him for hanging around with sinners. That's what was the occasion for Jesus telling This story about great rejoicing over finding what is lost. He was trying to get through to those who thought they were serving God, but had completely missed the heart of God. So that's how the story started. That was the setup. Now let me take you to the end of the story and show you how it ended because... The end is connected directly to the beginning. Verses 25 to 32. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound But he, the younger brother, was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, 
you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Who does the older brother in the story represent? He represents the scribes and the Pharisees of verses 1 through 3 that were grumbling and condemning Jesus for hanging out with sinners. They were angry. Listen, they were angry that the sinners, instead of being rejected, were accepted. That instead of being punished, were receiving the prize. They were angry. And Jesus, to drive the point deeply home, states basically the same truth in every story. Verse 7, He says there's more joy in heaven over one repenting than 99 who don't need to. Verse 10, there's more joy. There's joy before God and His angels in heaven over one that is found In verse 22 and 24, this rejoicing of the Father that erupts in joy when the Son turns His heart toward home. Listen. A critical point of the story based upon the context here, is this. God is not satisfied with a solo celebration when the lost are found. He's not satisfied for it just to be Himself. And He's not even satisfied if it's Him and the angels who are rejoicing. The point is, He wants every one of His sons and His daughters rejoicing when the lost are found. He wants the children of God to have the heart of God for the lost to be found and when they're found for there to be a celebration that they have been found. He wants all of His family to celebrate. It is what causes His heart to erupt in joy. Followers of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of God, it is what should cause our heart to erupt in joy. Verse 28, again, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. It's an interesting picture. Here is a father pleading with the older son who has remained with him. A father pleading, trying to get through to his older son that what his heart should be is a heart of rejoicing that the brother has returned. Not a heart vindictive. You see, talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus was trying to get through to those, listen, who hung around God's house, 
who grew up in God's yard and who were working and laboring in God's field. He was trying to get through to them because here's the truth. The story reveals that it is possible to live in the Father's house and fail to understand the Father's heart. It is possible to live around the things of God and not really have the heart of God. So here's the bigger truth. We looked at the big truth. Here's the bigger truth from the two bookends of the story, the beginning text and the post text. And the bigger truth is sons and daughters of the Father should passionately pursue the lost and should joyfully celebrate when they are found. What should rise up and erupt in joy in our hearts as sons or daughters of God, it's the lost getting saved. Just think back over the three stories again. Just like the lost sheep, the father pursues the sinner into the wilderness to rescue him or her. More specifically, Jesus Christ the Son left the glories of majesty in heaven to march into the wilderness of a sinful world to rescue the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. What about the story of the lost coin? It was the Father's love that compels Him to dig around in the dirt of the world. To find those who are lost and to restore them. Jesus came down from heaven and got on his hands and his knees. He took on the flesh of humanity. He entered into our reality in totality and got right down among the filth and the sin of the world and he came as the light of the world and he searched around in the dirt and the mire and the sin to find the lost. And when he found them, he rejoiced. And then like the lost son, the father's gaze is fixed on the far country. When he sees one of his lost sons or daughters, as he wakes them to their senses by the movement of the Spirit of God, when he sees that new heart turned toward him, he does what the story says the Father of heaven does. He throws open the gate of heaven and he runs. He sets dignity aside and he races to the rescue and he comes to the pig pen of life where they're in the mire and filth of sin and he does what the father in the story does. Folks, 
just try to get a picture of this. This is the creator of the galaxies that we're talking about. This is the one who lit the match that set the sun on fire. This is the one who calls the stars out by name each night. This is the one that put the spring in the gazelle and the stretch in the giraffe and the roar in the lion, that one right there is the one who rushes to the pit and the mire of sin, scooping his robes of righteousness up so that he can run across the landscape. And what does he do when he finds him? He does what the Father did in the story. He does what the Father did. He doesn't rebuke him for discrediting his name and squandering his resources and mocking the principles that he's been raised with. What the father does is he almost tackles the son or the daughter in his joy to get his hands on them. He almost crushes them to his chest as he embraces them with his omnipotent arms. And what about their filth? What about their soiled, stained face? Well, he cleanses it with kisses as he lavishes his love upon them. That's a picture that Jesus is painting of the Father. Jesus who has eternally known the Father, Jesus, who is the exact representation of the Father, Jesus, who is one with the Father. He knows what the Father is like, and He's telling us here in this story. Oh, but certainly, Brad, certainly, yes, there is an initial joy when the Son returns, but I'm sure that's going to give way from a grin to a frown when with a stern expression the father begins to rebuke his son for his waywardness. No, that's not the story. That's not the story. Just read, remember what happens after this reunion from the father rushing to the son. What does the father say? The father says, oh, go get one of the rags that we haven't thrown out yet and clothe him. No, that's not what the father says. He says, the best robe, the best robe, go get that. And the signet ring, the family symbol, go get that and put it on his finger. Full reinstatement, fully a part of the family. All the resources of the family come to bear in that signet ring. And get the shoes. Shoes worn by a son. Servant didn't wear shoes. The son wore shoes. Get the shoes and put them on his feet and let's celebrate. Let's get the best that we have and have a feast. That's what the father does. That's the heart of compassion of the Father, of the heart that erupts in joy. It doesn't just celebrate momentarily in a reunion. Here's the truth. God's giving always follows His forgiving. 
always, where He gives the riches of Christ to every son or daughter. That is the perfect Son revealing the heart of the perfect Father so that those who are His followers would understand what the Father's heart is. So that those who understand what the Father's heart is would have a heart after the Father and would be about what the Father is about and would love what the Father loves and would pursue the lost like the Father sent the Son, Jesus, to do so that followers would follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be about proclaiming Jesus to the lost and greatly rejoicing when they are found. That's the bigger truth. Would you please stand? Worship team comes. I'm just going to say a closing prayer. But I want to encourage you, if you want to come to the altars, maybe you are one that realizes you've been in a distant country in sin and rebellion and what you need is God to save you, to find you and save you. You're sensing that this morning. It's the work of the Spirit of God that's revealing that to you. What you need to do is respond to that. Maybe you're a son or a daughter here and you, what you need is you need to, to grow in the Father's heart. You need to ask God to give you a brokenness over the lost, to give you passion for reaching them and power to speak truth to them, the truth of Jesus, so they can be saved. If you want to come and pray, we'll have one of our elders or pastors pray with you, over you. Just encourage you to do that as we sing. But Lord... <clears throat> Thank you for your truth. Jesus, thank you for showing us the heart of the Father. Thank you for showing us what the God who sits on heaven's throne cares about. Help us to care about what you care about and be about what you're about. Sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with those in bondage to sin and its destruction. In Jesus' name pray, amen.